0: Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, June 10th edition of the Basement Academy. Before we dive into our morning psalm, just a, I guess, a, a personal word of thanks. Um, I enjoy this work. Uh, it has given me uh, a renewed sense of calling around the teaching ministry. Uh, for years, I have uh, thought of myself that way uh, with Thanks to God for giving me this love for the scriptures and some way of understanding and communicating, but uh, I want to thank you who listen or daily watch and then reply or respond in different ways, uh, either in person or emails or texts. Um, Thank you for the encouragement. Um, What I hear is that these uh, studies or reflections are helpful to you. And that is deeply meaningful to me. That is why I do this, uh, to be helpful uh, to strengthen the church. Uh, glad when this goes beyond Greenwich, but I'm very interested in, uh, I'm a shepherd to the Greenwich uh, church family. And so very thankful for that. And as strange as this COVID experience has been, it has given rise to this expression of study uh, and care uh, and connection. And so let's just keep going, right? So we'll dive in. Our morning psalm is one of the pilgrim psalms. Again, making the journey uh, to Jerusalem, uh, the people of God would at least three times a year uh, as the law of Moses dictated. And so these are psalms that would be sung or recited along the way as they were going to worship. So this is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. Just eight short verses. It's a humble prayer of contrition. O oh Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared, and feared is not so much understood as cowering as it is reverence or honored. There is this attention. To walk in the fear of the Lord is not to be cringing and hiding away from God. It is to walk with a an attentiveness, a heightened attentiveness to God and God's presence and God's goodness. And so um, I love the way the psalm ends. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. <clears throat> God takes upon himself the responsibility for redemption, for forgiveness, for uh, atonement, if we could say it that way. Though we have uh, in the Law of Moses the sacrificial system, uh, in the book of Leviticus and elsewhere, the priests offering sacrifices for a variety of um, expressions of worship. And one of those is, of course, the um, sacrifice of an animal as a substitute, life for life, uh, for the sins of uh, the worshipers, of the community. And then, of course, this Psalm 130, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins, foreshadows what God himself did in sending his own son, Jesus the Christ, in human flesh to offer himself as a living sacrifice and then... Rising on the third day is proof of God's acceptance of that life for our lives, this substitutionary atonement. So Psalm 134 shadows uh, the gospel and the death and atonement and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So seems a nice backdrop to uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians as we keep reading. Let me pick up uh, again uh, verse 1. Read verses 1 through 10 as we did yesterday. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Yesterday we explored the reality of the human condition. This backstory of Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve's sin, That gets transmitted then to the human family. Paul uses this language of the sinful nature. It's how it's translated, but it's the flesh. And so there's something in us. There is a kind of a force or a dynamic, a reality that is inescapable within the human family. It eventually manifests itself as what we call sin. But it is this resistance to God, an orientation towards self a love of self, an indulgence, a craving of desires, um, thoughts that that are in opposition to God. And so the, the, the language here is you were dead, dead in transgressions and sins. And so again, that echoes what God said to Adam. Adam, if you eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so this human condition that necessitates then the action of God in salvation, in rescue, okay? So we are in the graveyard, as it were. We are dead in transgressions and sins. And then uh, verse four, but God. (laughs) But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And so other translations of the Bible actually put those two words together. But God, but God who is rich in mercy. And so though we are objects of wrath, that is there are consequences of our sin that are going to lead to death and destruction and, and misery, God intervenes. But God who is rich in mercy, he intervenes into that situation. He does not leave us in our uh, in our, uh, um Casket, so to speak, right? He doesn't leave us in the graveyard. Though we are dead in sins and transgressions, though we are separated from him, though we don't have an interest in him, though we're self-indulgent, God intervenes. And so chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 is one of the sweetest verses in the whole Bible, but God Things are going along, things look uh, bleak and dark, and and all is lost, but God intervenes. And each of us, I'm sure, can tell a story, right, of God's intervention in our lives, of of turning us, rescuing us, pulling us back, delivering us, uh, comforting us in some way. And so God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ and then Paul repeats it, even when we were dead in transgressions, and that is essential to understand again for this whole this whole notion um, of being called, being chosen, being predestined. It it's, it cannot be avoided. The, the 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 language of the scripture here is. We are unresponsive. We are unable to initiate anything. Dead people don't do anything but lie there, right? (laughs) The, The life has gone out of them. The spirit has gone out of them. They are unable to move, unable to respond because they are not alive. And so God intervenes into human history into the human condition into the human family intervenes in such a way as he takes those who are dead and makes them alive it's really a resurrection story that's that's being said here and so we tend to look at salvation from our perspective you know all of a sudden i i i experience salvation i experience comfort i experience peace with god all of that's good. That's very important, but that's kind of from our eye view, kind of from our perspective. We, we have a sense that we have chosen God, that we have responded to God, and, and we have chosen God, and we have responded to God. We have said yes to Jesus. All of these things are true. But there's absolutely no disputing that. That we have a responsibility to respond. We have a responsibility. We have an ability to respond once something has happened. And that's the key. And this is to to my bitter enders. We had this discussion yesterday uh, at length. And here's the key. Yes, we have agency. We have a will. We have freedom. But we have to have experienced something first in order to make that response to God. We must be made alive. And so, but because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So Paul's trying to help us understand you haven't done this yourself. And God raised us up with Christ, so made us alive alive raised us up with Christ, and then seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And so there's, from this God's eye view of salvation, three things are happening. He made us alive, he raised us up, and he seated us, all of those, with Christ. It's never ourselves doing the action. And so this is this is where the tension is, but I think this is the key, Jesus in the tomb is dead. And then God, and all of a sudden, his heart begins to beat again and he begins to draw breath again. He has been made alive. God has made him alive even when he was dead. So that's the key. God the Father put spirit back into, put life back into Jesus. Okay. And then raised him up and then he, Gets up, the stone is rolled away, the angels roll the stone away, and then Jesus steps out of the tomb. And then as he interacts, and then at some point he ascends to the Father and is seated. And so what Paul is saying, all of these things have happened to the believer. Anyone who has responded to Jesus Christ has done so because they have first been made alive. Setsuki, we absolutely, I absolutely affirm that we have choice, that we have responsibility, we have agency. I must choose Jesus in order to be saved. But something happens to enable me to choose Jesus because dead people don't make choices. Dead people lie there. So I am made alive, I am raised up, I embrace Christ, and then I'm joined to him, and then this picture of being seated with him. We'll try to explore that a little bit later. So a God's eye view of salvation is God's looking at the graveyard of the human family, and then this resurrection is taking place. We are recipients of this life. We are not the actors. We don't initiate the relationship. This is why he is stressing, you're dead in sin's transgressions. He is rich in mercy. He made you alive even when you were dead. And so it's this, this response that has been made is because you have been made alive first. And so regeneration precedes faith would be the kind of wonky theological way to talk about that we are born again, and then we embrace Jesus. <laughs> that that seems to reverse the order. We think, oh, well, I must believe in Jesus in order to be born again. No, we are born again. We are made alive, and then we choose Jesus. And so that we can have some more discussion about that next week for our, our discussion group. So we are recipients. We, we don't we are, we are more passive in this experience. We are made alive. We don't make ourselves alive, right? So he acts upon us. Uh, we are raised up. We don't raise ourselves up. We are seated with him. We don't seat ourselves with him. So we are the recipients of all of the action of God in salvation. And then we are responding because we have been brought back to life. I note also that it is a communal experience. It is... Made us alive, raised us up, seated us, and so we American Christians so highly value individual freedoms and liberties in our society, and so individual liberty, uh, personal freedom, is such an important thing, and I don't, I don't uh, quarrel with that, but we sometimes miss that that the salvation as God uh, brings it about is a communal experience he is gathering a people unto himself and so the lord jesus taught us to pray not my father who art in heaven but our father who art in heaven that the The experience of faith, the experience of this Christian life, the experience of salvation is a corporate or community experience. And so it's never just me and Jesus. God is my co-pilot, you know. It is always a gathered community. And then it is always in and with and through Jesus Christ. It is never apart from Christ. Salvation is only in Christ. It is with Christ, it is through Christ. And we sometimes forget that, thinking that salvation is something that I chose and you know I I I heard the gospel. Yeah, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so all salvation is mediated. So that's the language. It's mediated, it's a mediated salvation. Jesus is the mediator between uh, the Father and and ourselves, and so Jesus is the go-between, the mediator, the bridge, or the bridge builder. Um, so, so a God. So Paul is offering us a God's-eye view of salvation. Yes, you have experienced this. <laughs> And I'm praying that you will have the eyes of your hearts opened and enlightened, that you may know the hope to which you've been called, the glorious riches uh, of your inheritance, and this incomparably great power that is for us. That power is like uh, the power God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him, and, and you were dead in trance. So just as Jesus was dead and been made alive, you were dead and have been made alive. That's what Paul's trying to do here, this larger flow of, the argument here that we can kind of miss because we're going at it in in short little bursts this vicarious experience what jesus christ has experienced he did on our behalf and now we experience it in communion or connection with him or the pauline phrases in christ okay so let, let me turn now to this, this notion, we'll, we'll uh, not finish the thoughts today. <clears throat> but Paul says a couple times in this passage. So, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And then parenthetically, it is by grace you have been saved. Okay, so we, we have been saved by grace. And then God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly ages, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in kindness in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so three times in, what is that, four verses Paul stresses this idea, you have been saved by grace. You have been saved by grace. You've been saved in order to demonstrate the riches of God's grace. And so we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We, we know the song. But sometimes we forget what grace is is if you are dead you are inert right <laughs> you are you are lifeless you are unable to respond you're living your life you're doing what you want to do you're indulging you're 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 all about you know your own business and then all of a sudden pff, there is a spiritual awareness and a spiritual um, maybe awareness of need you know, shame and guilt we become aware of that need of the savior oh lord if you kept a record of sins O oh lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness and so at some point in the christian's awareness they become acutely aware of their need for a savior this is the human dilemma, right? All people have this sense that I have done wrong. Otherwise, you know, why would we try? Why would people try to hide their crimes? Why? Why doesn't what, what, people don't want to get caught? Well, why don't you want to get caught? What, what? What's what's wrong? Just hey, you're going to go rob that bank? Well, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to pay a penalty for the thing I've done. The child tries to sneak around and sneak out of the house or sneak a cookie from the cookie jar, whatever we're sneaky, we don't want to be discovered and at some point we become aware that we have been discovered. (laughs) Almighty God, (laughs) from whom no secrets are hid, (laughs) all hearts are open, the the prayer that we often uh, say on Sunday mornings. And so when we become aware that we have been found out, (laughs) There, there is an, there's an awareness that comes to us and it's sometimes a painful awareness. There's a, there's a wincing, there's a shame, there's a sense of guilt, there's often an anxiety that attends that. Sometimes fear, a fear of, oh no, what's gonna happen to me? You know, I'm gonna get punished by humans, I'm gonna get punished by God. This, this quickening of the human spirit, <laughs> this is part of the being made alive in Christ. God's Spirit working to bring to our awareness that we have gone astray. (laughs) Because that's what sin is. Sin is choosing our own way rather than the way of the Lord. Uh, Sin is choosing self rather than God. Uh, Sin is love of self rather than love of God and and love of, of neighbor. And so grace is this gift um, it is unearned. It is unmerited. It is it is a favor. God does us a favor. Okay. Uh, what, what, what's the phrase? Can you do me a solid here? So so, do me a favor. God does us a favor. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. We haven't merited it. We haven't worked for it. And I guess Paul stresses that not by works, <laughs> lest no one boast. Because if it was by works, if it was something that we deserved, it was something we had earned, if it's something we, we we merited because of our efforts, well, then we have somehow saved ourselves, right? And that's what grace is. Grace is God's action where we receive and there's no reciprocation. That's what a favor is, right? Hey, do me a favor. Well, I'll do you one back. Uh, just... And so this is, we live in such a, 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 a life where if somebody does something for me, I, I feel obligated to do something back. There's no way we could ever repay the Lord. We can't say, hey God, you did, you, you know, Thanks. I'll make it up to you, right? That's kind of the way we think. Hey, you know, hey, if you spot me this time, you know, buy my lunch, I'll buy yours next time. And we have this kind of reciprocal understanding in our life. Somebody gives you a gift that maybe you weren't expecting, then you feel obligated to give them a gift back. But salvation is by grace. There is no giving back to God. Now, we're going to explore Verse 10, we are his workmanship. He prepared good works in advance for us to do. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But grace is 100% gift. There's nothing in us that, 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 uh, that binds God to call us, choose us, make us alive. He makes us alive. This is the mystery of it all. Why me, Lord? Why why? And, and this is we were talking about this in our discussion group yesterday. Why this person and not that person? I cannot answer that question. I cannot answer that question. Is it that one was better than another? Nope. Both of them are sinners. Both of them are in the graveyard. Then why did this person say yes to Jesus and this person not say yes to Jesus. Why did this person become a Christian? Why did this person not become a Christian? I can't answer that question. But I would also say, if those, if both people are still living, don't give up on this other person because the game's not up yet, right? The story's not over. Some people do come to their senses or they become alive in Christ. They're made alive in Christ. They, they choose Jesus. However all that works together, They have it happens later. So we don't give up on anybody. But what Paul is trying to stress here, the, the word that he uses that, that, that sits under it, it has to do with gift, right? It has to do with favor. But it is the demonstration of God's character, the incomparable riches of God's grace. He is incomparably rich in grace. There is no way to compare anything on this earth to God who graciously calls these rebels— <laughs> These um, traitors, right? Because that's what humans are. We've been we, we've we've been traitors to the kingdom of heaven, and then He calls us to Himself. That's the amazing part of grace. There's nothing in us that makes God have to save us. I, I I just don't know how to e- express it. i I know when I became aware of this some decades ago, right? I've been a Christ follower now for forty ish years or so. and it but it wasn't right away. I can tell you that. you know i I had a strong sense of, boy, you know I figured this one out. woohoo, you know. I read my Bible and I talked to some people and I began to go some meetings and then I realized, hey, Jesus died for me, wants me to follow him. Man, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> I mean, there, there was a sense of that. But as time has gone on, the, the longer I've walked with Christ, the more I've read these scriptures, I've become aware I'm not so smart. <laughs> God is really good. God is very kind. God, who is rich in mercy. So, mercy, we, we don't get what we deserve. We deserve uh, to be separated forever. God could have just left us in the graveyard. You're, you're, you're gone. You know, you're out. So, he's rich in mercy. There's this kindness that is expressed, right? The, the, the uh, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. God is kind, he is merciful. He is gracious. Paul is trying to lift up the character of God here. Whoever people think God is, God's unfair. So, in this whole discussion of you know salvation and choice and predestination and all of this stuff, we often end up thinking about God as unfair or arbitrary um, or or somehow mean right that 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 mean that he wouldn't save everybody you know why doesn't he just get the whole graveyard up all Paul's trying to do is lift up the mercy the kindness the grace the goodness of God and and that is what is appropriate that salvation results those who are saved <laughs> don't question the goodness, the kindness, the mercy of God. The, 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 those who are saved go, why me, Lord? You know, what have I ever done? <laughs> to, to, to sing the old Chris Christofferson song. So let, let me let me wrap up there. We're gonna kind of tease verses eight, nine, and 10 out. There's some more, uh, more work to do, more uh, insight to receive. But I, I hope this is helpful. Um, may it lead to worship. May it lead to humility. Uh, May it lead to a sense of appreciation and gratitude that we would have towards our God. Let's pray. And so why us, Lord? Why have you made us alive and raised us up other than to bring greater glory to your name? The praise of your glory, as Paul writes it in Chapter 1, may we live to the praise of your glory, the praise of your mercy, the praise of your kindness, the praise of your grace and love. Thank you for what you have done. You yourself have redeemed Israel. You yourself have redeemed your people from all their sins. Help us to grow in this awareness of your amazing grace. And we pray that that grace would spread to more and more family members and friends, those we continue to to yearn for, long for, pray for, to know you. And so keep us vigilant in our prayers and our witness and our love for them as we make our prayer in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And may God, who is rich in mercy and grace and kindness towards you, all expressed through Jesus Christ, may that God keep you. May he deepen your love for him this day and forevermore. Amen.